Aspire to dream. Aspire to achieve. Aspire to lead. Aspire to forge your own path. I'm Josh Booth, and on behalf of the Aspire team, I want to welcome you to Chapter 10 of Aspire, the life of an American entrepreneur, with special guest Ambassador Edward Crawford and Aspire host Thomas Kelly. Ed Crawford pays tribute to several heroes that came into his life at various times over a 70-year span and changed his life. Some of these were close family members, others were total strangers, but all played key roles in his remarkable entrepreneurial career. This is Aspire Chapter 10, The Making of Ed Crawford. Can we talk about the heroes list a little bit? Sure. Okay, we go all the way back to uh, one of the first heroes to you. Well, I'll let you tell it. Who was the earliest chronologically? Well, if you, you take mom and dad out, uh, it was when I arrived at Roxborough Elementary School. At that time, the Shaker Heights and the Cleveland Heights school system was absolutely fantastic mm-hmm. public school system. And I was to go into fifth grade. I knew that when I had left New York, I knew I had a problem where reading was not easy for me. Because this is dyslexia. Yeah. And and they didn't even call it dyslexia then, did they? Well, no, they didn't because they didn't have a handle on it. And Mrs. Killinger was the fourth grade teacher, and they decided to send me back to the fourth grade. With so my, like, this is like the first day of class. They well, tell you you're in the fourth grade instead of the fifth grade? Well, no, I, for, for the first week. So they decided that they'd move me back to the fourth grade. And they just really came and got me. Mrs. Killinger, who was a teacher of the fourth grade, and she came and picked me up. Mm-hmm. And when she picked me up, it was uh, difficult. I didn't know exactly what happened, but I knew what was. And what did she say that day that, well, that helped ameliorate everything? We realized there's a problem here you know, within you're having a hard time. We're working on it as much as we can. We know you have problems in reading and spelling. We're taking that into account. Because Mrs. Killinger wanted to take on the challenge, and she liked you, and she saw potential in you. and So she's kind of on. a hero, too, Mrs. Well, Killinger. Right. I said, well, of course, at this particular one, I'm in the office. So I'm agreeing to anything. You know, mm-hmm. I know about <laughs> two days pass, and I'm in the fourth grade. Somebody comes down to get Mrs. Killinger, and Mrs. Killinger comes over to get me. So I'm thinking, you know, being an optimistic person at this particular time, I said to myself, I said, I'm going to go back to the fifth grade. They figured out this problem. They figured out this problem. I knew. I knew they could figure it out because <laughs> I knew I wasn't dumb. I just. Right. I just knew I wasn't dumb. Right. But what was it really? That, that wasn't what was happening that yeah. day. So I go into her office. So I walked in and I sat down. And there's a guy. His name was Adam. Right. Now we talked about this before. So this right. is where. And now I see this much more clearly. This is where. I don't know if it was Mrs. Vincent or who. Mrs. Vincent. Had the great idea that, okay, we got Ed Crawford. He's got some problems, but he's got a lot of potential. Then now we've got Adam. Adam, we're not sure about potential with Adam. And Adam needs a bodyguard and a buddy. (laughs) He needs somebody to watch over him. I think it was brilliant of Mrs. Vincent to come up with the idea that the way to 
open a path for Ed because he is smart and he will understand what we're trying to do and he'll understand the responsibility. Isn't it almost like a caretaker for Adam? Yeah, I don't even know if I was thinking this way. It's a good thing. You know, people care. If they care about him, they care about me. So this is good. And they like so I can't get in trouble. Right. Yeah. And then she had like a, a belt, uh, this, you know, like a yellow belt. She says, I need a crossing guard. Oh, and the crossing guard back in the day, so that, that was deal. a big honor. How she becomes a hero is a little bit like my mom starting her fake crying when I made a mistake on chessboard, <laughs> saying, you can't do that, you can't make it, this is just terrible, terrible, <laughs> you'll never be a chess player. Stop thinking about yourself, Stop. start thinking about the other person. Yes. The other move. That's a good tip in I chess. Said, you can't, she said, you can't win if you can't do that. Okay, let's go back. We talked about Mrs. Vincent. Who is the next hero? The whole Cleveland Steel Container story and losing control of that company, which was a very, very brutal experience for me. Traumatic. Yeah, and uh, it worked out great because that company, Cleveland Steel Container, is still in business today. And my original partner, you know, Chris Page, still has it. And I think he's proud of what I accomplished after not being forced out, walking out. Mm-hmm. But uh, clearly, at that time, when he did not support me, I mean, what could I say? Uh, he did me a favor. Look look where I ended up. Mm-hmm. And I ended up differently, and that comes to a, a very important hero. I had met through this SBA Man of the Year a gentleman named Lou Hatch, who's a quasi-almost hero. Took a job with him. He said, you, you showed some interest, and I explained what happened. He says, well, why don't you just come over here and work for me? So I left every Sunday to Philadelphia and came back every Friday for well over a year. You went to Philadelphia. And got a job. And you worked in Philadelphia uh, during the week and came home on the weekends? Yeah. For a year and a half? Yeah. And what business was that? Clark Group. It was a public company. And he had four or five different companies he had pushed together. He was was a lawyer. He wasn't an operating person. He knew that I would be loyal to him. Then I go, really, I went to Philadelphia to really get out of Cleveland. Mm -hmm. You needed a little time to get over it. Well, I didn't want to go back and throw the the bat and ball over the fence again. <laughs> you know. well, but then you did come back, regroup, uh, make a run at recapturing your company. After a year and a half, I really wanted to come back and start a little company. And I had one picked out in Philadelphia, happened to be Clark Can, and they made cans for the olive oil industry. Okay. That was one of Lou Hatch's companies. So he sold it to me because he wanted to get out of it. Then I moved that company to Conneaut, Ohio. I got to catch the attention of this wealthy person through his son. Mm-hmm. I tell him the whole gory story from beginning to end. And he said, well, I'd like to help you. And he says, when is the next meeting for Cleveland Steel Container? I said, it's in three months from now. And he said, I think we should go get your company back. Now, this is a very interesting story. Are you going to tell us who this gentleman was? Not at this time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've been waiting a long time. Well, you know, it... Uh, but well, that's I, all right. We're talking about one of the most successful businessmen in Ohio, really, in ever. the country. A man, even back then, was probably close to, if not past, billionaire status. For sure. Okay, and highly respected. He was so interested in you as a person. 
Why did he take that interest? He says, I've been watching, you know, I'm putting a lot of time into this. And he says, you really got a, you've got a lot of gifts. I like the way you've handled it. And he says, they're scared that they're going to lose control. And they are going to lose control because you're going to have control. But on the other hand, you have them. And that's a baggage I don't think you want to carry for the rest of your life. I'm looking at him. What the hell are you talking about here? You know, he said, I think we can get them to buy you out, not pay you a fair price. Let's get them to buy you out and whatever money you can get out of them or we can get out of them in negotiations, I'll match it. Because of one simple thing, I've decided and I was talking to my wife and we decided that this is not good for you. You'll have 65%, but they'll have 35%. They don't like you. They don't like where you came from. They don't like what you represent. Why carry them along with you? They'll be fighting you the rest of your life. Get rid of them and start all over again. He says, you can do it. There's no question about you can do it. Here you are on the brink of recapturing the company that you built up. You had planned be the CEO, lead owner. You had the rug pulled out from under you by your partner. In your mind, it was a devastating blow. Then here comes this angel. with the uh, power and the interest in you that, hey, we'll get your company back for you. And it worked. He did what he had to do. You did everything right. And then this gentleman, this angel, meets with you and says, okay, your wish is going to come true tomorrow. I think you should let it go and go an entirely different direction. What was the reason that you said, okay. What yeah. he said to me was, it's your choice. You have two opportunities now. Mm-hmm. And I wanted you to think about, you know, the confidence I have in you and your ability to do this. Let's get rid of the bad the bad baggage here. You know, and the yeah. answer is, you know, just go do it. And he was right. That's how you win. You can't win the other way. Right. You can win. And I can win. I'll feel really good about it. Let's just go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. And I stood up. I said, sir. The answer is... You don't need to think about it. No, I don't have to think about it. You know, you give me that opportunity and you will never be disappointed. He never was, was he? No, he never was. You're still close to his son. Yeah, I'm close to the whole family. Mm -hmm. Each one of these individuals, when you moved to Marshall and Allen Beadall and... uh, We're going to a next hero now? Yeah. Marshall Allen Beadall. Beadall. Marshall Allen Industries. Uh Barbecue Grills. I bought that company. And who's the hero there? Marshall, his brother. They were brothers, but Marshall was the hero. And I wanted to buy his company because it was a great company, and I knew I could make it a greater company. Ultimately, I sold that company, Marsh Allen, to Park, Ohio in 1993 to get control of Park, Ohio. So you really sold it to yourself, ultimately. Ultimately to myself. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, now back up for a second, uh, Marsh Allen. Uh, Good size, but still just a little family business. Well, it was was about $20 in sales. Oh, $20 back then. Yeah. Okay, bigger than I thought. And the deal was to be closed, and we were going to close on a, a Friday. Mm-hmm. And I had put up $250,000 deposit on the price. Is that non-refundable? Non-refundable. Ooh. On Wednesday, they called, and they said, Ed, we have to meet with you immediately. I went downtown, and he says, we can't do the transaction. We don't think it's, we think the risk is higher. We took it to top management, and they've rejected the idea. And all along, they'd be telling you, yeah, we're in, we're in. Three months. I was so shocked. You know, I said, what am I going to do here? Well, goodbye, $250,000, that's for sure. But like entrepreneurs, if they have a bad hand and they're going to lose, they've got to have the ability to walk away. Mm-hmm. you got to know when to fold them, you know. And that result is, got in my car and I drove to the west side and sure there, there, is, there was Marshall. 
and Alan Botham sitting in their office and so forth, and all bubbly and so forth. And it was, I said, Marshall, Alan, can't believe this. They just pull the financing. They pull it. They want more money. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm here to tell you, you're not getting your money on Friday. I have no problem at all with the fact that you keep the $250,000. Too embarrassed, but I want to come over and tell you myself personally, because I know you got other buyers. He said, we have a meeting at Cleveland Trust Bank. Listen to the story. Mm-hmm. This is the first time I've told the story. This is why they're a hero. We're going down there. We've been banking with these people for 50 years. We want you to go down there and tell them the story, and we're going to tell them the story. Started at 8 o'clock in the morning. Both of them took, walked me right in the front door. The Cleveland Trust was the snootiest bank in town. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this was some substantial money here. Mm-hmm. By 6 o'clock that evening. And these, so these people Cleveland were, Trust is not your bank. It's their bank. It's their bank. So you said bye to your bank. Yeah. Your old bank. Old bank. Well, that sure says something. It says something about them. And it says something about you, too. For them to say, oh, well, sorry to hear that. Yeah, the 250 is non-refundable. And that's a nice little payday for us for nothing, for doing nothing. And it's hard to pass up. But they liked you enough, and they saw the possibilities. I think some of it was good business. Hey, we're better off stepping in to help Ed Crawford get over this bump in the road here so that all of us can have a smooth road ahead. They made a wise business decision that day, too, didn't they? Well, I think ultimately I showed them how to make the business double the size of the business. Mm-hmm. And they never complained about it. The fact <laughs> no. that, you know, What's the complaint? <laughs> well, the complaint is they should have got, could have said, I got more money. Like I, the punch presses were on the first floor and the material went from the third floor to the first floor. And then I took the punch press a week after I got it. I cut a hole on the top of the roof of the, of the building and took the punch press off the first floor and put it on the top floor. And that was the beginning of the process because we we punched it in the press and it fell down and fell down. When it got to the basement, it was all boxed up and out the door. How much does a punch press weigh? Four or five tons. So you you literally oh, had I, to cut a big hole in the roof? Oh, yeah. What'd you put it in with, a helicopter? A uh, big crane. Big crane, right. Okay. Okay. That was smart. Were you planning that all along? Yeah. From the first time you were at their yeah. plant? I'll tell you one more. In 19, this is 90. Four. Okay. A very famous company in town called RB&W was centered in Cleveland, okay? Mm-hmm. And the old TRW headquarters down on Euclid Avenue. Right. Big headquarters. That's right. And they were a publicly traded company. And the, the chairman of that company, he passed away suddenly. And the chairman of the board, who was just a friend of his that was in his own manufacturing business, steel business, his name is not that important, he became the chairman of the company, mm-hmm. public company. And the board decided to put it up for sale. I said, this is a company I got, but this is a bigger, you know, this is a $100 million Ooh. company. So I started to bid on it. Mm-hmm. It was uh, open bidding process? Yeah. Larry... I'll just use his first name. This Larry is, at that time, temporary chairman of the board, and they decided to sell it, which made sense at the time. Mm-hmm. I love the company. Mm-hmm. Park Ohio was doing very well at the time. I said, this is way we got to go for this company. Yeah, but the most I could raise was $30 million. Yeah, you're only two years into yeah. Park, Ohio. Yeah. You're doing great, but you can't spin off $100 million. No. So, so what, do you, what can you do? Well... I kept in contact with Larry, and I stayed on with Larry. He was very concerned about his employees or the employees at that company. He was just a great family man. He knew the companies that were coming after it were going to buy it and break it in half. There was two pieces of it. Mm-hmm. 
And I kept reminding Larry, you know, this is going to be the, the company, this, the half of it's, which is a lot of employees, a couple hundred employees, 250 employees, this, they're going to be gone. I can't come up with that much cash. I can come up with stock. Park, Ohio stock. Park, Ohio stock. Uh-huh. If you come up with stock, when I put these two companies together, the stock is going to go up like four or five points. We're known, but we're not known like our BMW. Got down to the last week. And he said, uh, you, you know what you're up against here. But uh, I've been listening to you and, and believe that if you add this to your, your base already, you've got, you're going to have a couple hundred million dollar company here. I just want to ask you one question. You promised me that you will not break this company up and you will keep it for a reasonable time to protect the people. So, mm-hmm. And I'll put that in the equation when I talk to the board. And of course, you told him, yeah, I'll keep it together. Yeah. That's what I want to do. Yeah. We won. <laughs> we merged them together and it worked out exactly what we thought. That company today, which was doing $60 million at that time, uh-huh. that company today does $600 million. As a division of, of Park, Park Ohio? Ohio? Well, that worked out pretty well. All of them that took the stock, it worked out well for them. Yeah. And uh, Larry, what's Larry's last name? Just Larry. <laughs> <laughs> there you go again. Uh, Larry talked his board into it. Well, he kind of put himself on the line. Oh, of course he did. If it didn't work out, he he went and he pretty much promised his board, hey, I know there's a lot more cash on the table from other places, but we got to go with Ed Crawford. So he's a good hero. You're the only one that really knows your story so well. You talk much more about other people being heroes in your story than you do about being a hero yourself. You just talk about one foot in front of the other. Here's what happened. Here's what happened next. And you've said many times, you're lucky. I'm willing to step out and lead. And that's the entrepreneurial kind of spirit. When you start talking about these heroes, what makes the entrepreneur, it's not it's not that simple. The motivation of others rather than, I got my own motivation right. figured out. You know what your motivation is. Yeah, I know. You know, I'm all dialed in with that. What has enabled me to be able to accomplish something with so many incredibly powerful people in my life that had to make big bets on, on who I am? I was given a gift. Now, why was he an entrepreneur? Maybe it's simple as, you know, he was given a gift. You know, He had the gift. In Chapter 11, we take a step away from the boardrooms and offices, factories and plants, and the hectic seven-day-a-week pace of a business titan with almost 200 separate companies in his orbit. Even the committed entrepreneur better take some time for family, friends, and the joys of life in full. Ed Crawford does this, and he does it well. He tells us how in Aspire Chapter 11, Extra Curriculars. I'm Josh Booth. Thanks for listening.